Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family. Equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. Family, again, wasn't that a, a cool privilege? Uh, I, I don't know that any of us in the room had the thought that if we took an offering, God would bring that kind of success. Uh, and, and, and what a cool privilege it is just to recognize that, that we've, we've already studied God fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. God said fed 4,000 with seven loaves. And, and sometimes we have no impact or we have no understanding of the impact when we just we, we put down our five loaves and turn around and go, oh my goodness, what did God do? So we just simply thank the Lord with what he's done. Family, we're, we're in, uh, in the book of Mark, and I want to remind you today, um, I, didn't, I didn't preach Mark until the very end of my career for a very important reason. I've always thought about it as the Cliff Notes gospel, all right? And what I mean by that is, you know, I, I, you read Matthew and you go, oh, well, there's a longer explanation in Matthew than in Mark. And Mark told us the story, but there's a fuller in Matthew. Or there's a fuller explanation in Mark. Almost, I'm sorry, in Luke. Almost 97% of the book of Mark is explained in the other two books of the Bible. And these gospels give us a larger a larger view, a larger storyline, and, and a fuller description often. Well, today is an entirely different approach. Mark is the one who gives us the fuller explanation. Mark is the one who, who really creates a different look here. And in Matthew and Luke, this same story, the focus is on the power of Jesus Christ to heal. He will heal a young boy who has a demon, so the demon needs to be exercised, and the demon will behave in the life of the little boy in a very strategic fashion, much like we see an epileptic. And so Jesus heals him. But in the book of Mark, the focus and the emphasis is entirely different. The focus now is on your and my reaction of faith and trust and belief. And we build on that from the very, very beginning. So I want us to come to this, this more complete section of the book of Mark where he will, he will look down and talk us through four key principles that we, we, we learned today about the very privilege of help my unbelief. And in fairness... Um, we're always maturing in the sense of faith and trust in the Lord, aren't we? Allison accepted Jesus Christ some time ago and wanted to follow in baptism. Allison, with her special nature, has an understanding of God that's at one level. So when she writes and explains all about the understanding of Jesus Christ, she knows, and the, the one beauty about salvation 
is the, the beauty of salvation can be accepted on many, many levels. We'll never understand or exhaust the knowledge of the character of God. And at the same time, no matter how young and special our faith is, we can find meaning and privilege and awareness of the gospel that Jesus Christ offers to us. What a privilege that is. And so we want to see how we can build on that faith and mature that faith here in our experience of life now. And if you will, join me as we read these 14, 15, 16 verses together today. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And when it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, in other words, Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it was often cast into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if I can, all things are possible to the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of the people of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up. And he arose, and when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast him out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So family, I, I want you to see the, the, the four ideas that, that I believe that, that Mark brings out of this moment of experience. And I want you to see one is, is really just found in the, the first few words, and when they came to the disciples. So what I want you to see is is that real life is lived off the spiritual mountain. And the reason I'm telling you that is, you must have been here last week to fully understand what I'm about to say. So give me the privilege of some quick, some quick review. Last week, we had the, the story, we had the interaction of the transfiguration. Jesus Christ shone his glory. And from 
the normal-looking human, all of a sudden, he began to glow. Not only did he glow, his clothing glowed. As he stood in this incredible, supernatural, glorious appearance, Moses and Elijah come in front of him, and they converse. We have no knowledge of that conversation, but they converse with Jesus. In which case, he reminds the disciples, now I don't want you to tell anybody what you just saw until I've risen from the dead. And family, from that we we learn some incredible reminders that Jesus has a plan, and that plan is set and guaranteed. And remember when we talked about it, we could go 1,400 years into the past with the character of Moses. And as as Jesus conversed with Moses, what it should teach us is that all of a sudden, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy all become equally authoritative in the plans of God. The statements of creation, the statements of Noah and the ark, the statements of of the traveling through the Red Sea and all the things that were accomplished in the wilderness wanderings as he were fed for 40 years. Jesus validates it in that, one con- in that one conversation. So from the very beginning of the earth to this moment in time, Jesus says, hey, I've got it all covered. If there's any doubt, he comes to Elijah and continues to converse with him. And the righteousness that, that Elijah represents in, in condemning the northern kingdom for rebelling against the authority of Jesus Christ, excuse me, the authority of God, He holds them accountable, and he does the same thing to the southern kingdom and says, you are not righteous. You are not behaving in obedience to God on high. Again, he validates that ministry and gives it the exclusive stamp of approval. These are all part of God's sovereign purposes. And now to stand on the hill, we we now understand the, the plan of the present. And even in the statement, men, don't speak of this until I've risen from the dead. We have a past, present, and a future look as Jesus Christ talks. We know exactly this is the plans of God. They're not going away. And we were reminded again, God has a a plan for you specifically. God has a care for you specifically. And so we are reminded lastly that the main thing is the main thing that, you know, we can become quite enamored with Old Testament truth. We can come enamored with ideas in the Bible, but if they ever take us away from the first and the foremost, the priorities of the words of Jesus Christ, then we miss out. And we learn that on the mountain. We learn that in spiritual retreats. We learn that in moments when when we are really engaged in spiritual things. That might be on a Sunday morning where you walk away and you oh, I learned so much from God this morning in Scripture. Oh, I had such a wonderful time applying the lyrics of a song of worship that we, we expressed. And it pushed you forward in your, in your maturity. It could have been on your devotions. It could have been on a retreat that went, went away and, and you look down and you say, oh, I learned this and this and this and this. But I want to remind you this morning as we see these very few verses, real life is not on the mountain. Real life is down in the messy reality of being at home with your wife 
with your husband, with a bunch of kids who drive you crazy, neighbors, friends, people at church. You see, real life comes down here to be lived out, and you and I can never forget that. We have to remember, you have to come down off the mountain to live. We have to meet people. We have to help them see Jesus Christ and trust the lessons that we've learned on the mountain to cope with the demands of everyday life. So Jesus leads Peter, James, and John uh, down off the mountain, and they come back into a hornet's nest of failing friends, of argumentative enemies, and of hurting people. And they have a chance and a responsibility to immediately apply what they've learned on the mountain because this is real living. Notice, secondly, that not only is real life it lived off the spiritual mountain, believers advertise the success of Christ. How many times have you ever talked to anybody and you hear the phrase, oh, the church is filled with a bunch of... See, you've heard the same phrase I have, haven't you? All right? Welcome to church, misfits and hypocrites. We and I, we can't be consistent all the time. We can't be perfect all the time. And and that's a, a real condemnation. That's a concern. But Jesus, in this moment, came back to a very delicate situation. A father had brought his son to the disciples. Now, let's walk through it. The the boy was possessed by a demon that possessed itself with the qualities of epilepsy. And so you recognize that he falls rigid. His, His jaw tightens. He foams at the mouth. All of these are qualities that we see in epilepsy. He is mute. But we know it's something different because there's a strategic element to the epilepsy. When he's near water, the demon takes him into the water in attempts to kill him by drowning and by fire into the fire so as to burn and disfigure him. Family, this is a horrific situation and the father knows exactly that this is something far different than a natural problem. But I want you to understand, the disciples' failure to heal gave the scribes their first chance to attack both the disciples and the master. And that failure sidelined the work that they were doing. The only thing being done is arguing and feeling defeated. The ministry that they're supposed to be involved in involves representing Jesus Christ, and here Jesus Christ is not advanced. And understand how grave this moment is. He'd already sent them away earlier in Mark. We we studied it together. He'd already sent them away, and he gave them all the equipment. Anoint them with oil, cast uh, cast out demons. Anoint them with oil, 
cure, heal. Family, they have never faced a failure, and now they come here to this moment in time. This is a real disruption. And the scribes go for the throat. The scribes attack. The entire ministry of Jesus now is in question, and they seize the moment. And so I want you to understand the, 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 the entire ministry of Christ and the disciples breaks down. The Father and the Son, they miss the blessing of success. People don't experience the credibility of Jesus' work. And when Jesus asks about the arguing, I want you to hear what, what the Father says. Notice, I brought my Son to you. I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. The you and the they are tied together. I came to Jesus, and if you will, Jesus failed me. In the mind of the Father, the failure was Christ's failure. Family, that is what makes every human situation so delicate for the Christian. That's why our conduct becomes important to the world to see. Our behavior, our promises, our achievements, our words, even the inflection of our words. That's why when we text message, how many times have you entered into an argument with someone simply because what they texted to you you completely misappropriated the inflection that they were hoping that you saw as a joke or they saw as a joke, you saw as a condemnation. And all of a sudden you're mad at them and they never said anything to you. That's the world we live in today. Our ability or inability to cope with the demands of life are used as a yardstick not only to judge us, but to judge Jesus Christ. So family, walk with me for a minute. If, if you and I watch the ministry of a faith healer, and that faith healer promises, I can cure you in the name of Jesus Christ of fill in the blank, dot, 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 whatever it is. And they cannot Who's, who's marginalized and minimized? Jesus Christ. Let's go. If a preacher preaches health and wealth, and you end up neither wealthy nor healthy, who looks bad? Jesus Christ. Because the preacher's now opened Scripture, and he has presented his message as if it's the authority of God himself. And when he does so, he makes God look bad when he says God promises you wealth and you have none, and God promises you health and you have none. Jesus Christ looks bad. Family, we've come to a, a, a time 
that we now are experiencing, this post-COVID world. But as we've gone through COVID, we've seen many pastors uh, not working like they, they could or should and getting, getting sidelined and sidetracked. And we have seen adultery, almost unprecedented since the 80s in, in Christian leadership. We have seen financial failures among the, the pastorate and the leaders of churches. And we've seen behavioral issues of the pastors over and over and over again so that when we hear them, it's almost become old hat, hasn't it? Another one. Another one. So let me ask you a question. When a pastor has a moral failing, when the leadership of a church is held accountable into the community for financial failure, for moral failure, for ethical problems, for, for business dealings gone awry, who looks bad? Jesus Christ. Now, let's make one more. When a church says that they believe something, that they hold precious the truths of God's word, and they walk out, and there's no evidential difference between a, the community of Christ followers and the community, who looks bad, the church or Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ. So uh, understand, when Christ looks weak, there is no representative who can change the reality save Christ himself in repentance and restoration. Family, what I want you to see is something I think is quite incredible. We see this failure in this moment. Now you and I know that there'll be other sins into the future. Peter's notorious. Peter lets Jesus down the night of the crucifixion. Later on, even in church, we'll see Peter not treating the, the Gentiles the way he should and, and being held accountable by, by Paul. We have a, a, a fairly decent disagreement between Paul and Barnabas that Acts will tell us about in Acts chapter 15. Later on, if you read the books of 2nd and 3rd John, you'll find that pastors weren't behaving well back then in the very first century. But you know what you don't find? You don't find a disruption into the community quite the same from the book of Acts on. And what we, what we see is there are some sins that won't sideline the church, and then there are others. And I believe the key issue is when you and I set aside Jesus Christ as the priority, as the key, as the focus, everything becomes amiss. Understand what I mean. You and I will sin. You'll lose your temper, and you'll apologize. You'll do something wrong, and, and you will confront that wrong. But you didn't set aside Christ. Here we see Jesus Christ and his power, his authority, and his, and his leadership set aside in a significant way. So understand, believers advertise the success of Christ in your lives. And, and so we're encouraged 
to live out the same way. I want you to notice the, the, the third uh, idea that, that springs out of this text. Jesus loves the world one person at a time. Do you ever realize how hard that is? We have a, a verse of Scripture, John 3.16. We all know it well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. All right? Now, it's easy to love all of us. If all of us are become as insignificant as the, the essence of, of the characters on the globe, we just lose ourselves in humanity. But it's another situation to love each individual. And if you don't believe that to be true, I want you to, without any looking around, all right? How many of you as believers, don't raise your hand, you can snicker in cynicism if you want. But if I looked down to you today and I said, how many of you love every person at CBC? Man, the hands would go up. I, I love everybody here. Why? Because CBC becomes the globe. Very easy. Now if I said, look around. How many of you love every person at CBC? And I will guarantee you that some of you will be looking around and, and probably the majority going, yeah, that one's really hard. Oh, she's really hard. Oh, my goodness. I pray, yeah, she's crazy. Um, that was Allison, by the way, who got baptized this morning. So uh, understand, we have those moments. And the, it's easy to say, I love everybody in the sanctuary. All right? Close in prayer, walk into the hallway. It's an entirely different walk, isn't it? So I want you to understand, this is what makes Jesus Christ's example to us so phenomenally precious. Jesus Christ has the ability to not only love the world, but give us the, the living example that every time he heals, every time he shows himself, he shows himself in a wonderful one-to-one -one expression where we really connect with the work of Jesus Christ. And we, we see that work over and over again. How one person gets touched by the hand of God. Jesus had a gift of giving himself entirely to every person with whom he happened to be in contact with. Now, you and I will always struggle with, in fairness, loving everyone. It, it, it's a concept that's just overwhelming. You can say you love every person in the world, but at some point, let's be fair, that is such an overwhelming extension of reality that that's not even fair for you to utter. But I want you to understand, we can give attention to those in our small corner of the world. First off, we can work hard to love one another. Now, I want you to hear me out, please. This is not the responsibility of the senior pastor of this church. If I said we have to love one another, 
there will be people here this morning who look up and say, well, that's Pete and Kathy's job. Kathy knows everybody's names here. Kathy loves everybody. Pete's a little iffy. Kathy loves everybody. Understand, that is not the assignment of the senior pastor. That is not the assignment of Kevin, Dale, Mike, nor Eddie. That is not the responsibility of the eldership alone. Understand, we have struggles. Some of us are harder to live with than others, but we have all, having expressed and accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ as a gift, are now stuck with one another first, and second, challenged by Jesus Christ to love one another and find ways, find purpose, find characteristics and qualities that we can encourage one another and show the world that we truly do love one another. Family, we can love one another. We can make sure the needs of those in our family are cared for. We have a circle card that we can be responsible to. Please hear me out. The idea of the circle card is not necessarily to say, this is a prayer card for you. This is a strategic action plan. You are praying to God. God, open the door of opportunity that I may converse with those that I care most about and want to see Jesus Christ enter into their lives. So family, you're going to have children or grandchildren, or it's going to move vice versa. You have grandparents or parents that are not Christ followers or have walked away, and you're recognizing that either that prodigal relationship that they're in and or the need of the gospel becomes important. Who would ever look to their own child or to their own parents and want to neglect Showing them the love of Jesus Christ. Who would want to do that? And so we have a strategic responsibility, first and foremost, to love those who are closest to us. We take that action plan, and we recognize through our, through our care and concern, all of a sudden a neighbor, a, a workmate, comes into our lives in, in such a way that we have been praying, Lord, let me be aware of the open door that when they ask the right questions, I may respond with the answer that begins the illumination process by which they understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. God didn't ask you to be bright. He asked you to be faithful. He didn't ask you to have a, an answer that perfectly expresses the frustration or the idea that the person is raised up by question. He asks you to be faithful. And so you and I can recognize that we have a one-person-at-a-time approach. And Jesus Christ gives us the perfect example here. Jesus did not sit appalled and paralyzed at the slowness of people's minds. He dealt with the immediate situation. He took the boy and healed him. Family, the greatest thing that we can do is something.
Again, Allison's just commentary this morning is just really rich. She says, or be a hot dog. Notice, if you will, fourth. I want you to see faith is a focus on Christ alone. Family, I want you to listen to me because I, I hope to challenge you with some different thinking. Jesus in his frustration says, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? Now, I want you to understand that's going to be one of two issues, and you're free to determine this morning. The only two issues is this. Is Jesus saying, Oh, faithless generation, he's already talking to the scribes who are argumentative. He's already talking to this man who is seeking the healing of his son and many who are in the crowd like him. But here's the real question. Is he also including his disciples or not? All right, that's your, your question. You look down and say, yep. I will say he's including everybody in his eyesight. The faithlessness of the men who were not able to heal as well as the crowd, as well as the argumentative describes. He's looking at everyone and reacting. Now, you have a, the privilege of coming to your own conclusion, but I believe he's talking to all of them, and I want you to hear what he says. Bring him to me. And that's why I believe he's talking to the disciples also. He realigns what's important. He realigns who's the priority. He realigns why we have allegiance to Christ and Christ alone. Christ alone is the one who does the supernatural. You and I are not talented. You and I are not gifted. You and I are not to be trusted to do the supernatural. Bring him to me. And Jesus will heal. It is here where the strongest lesson for us about faith takes place. Remember, I want you to understand, our key thought this morning is how strongly do you trust the person of Christ? The first lesson on faith is to the Father. And I believe that the Father represents the faith of immaturity. The father did not have the experience that the disciples had. And I want you to hear what he says. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Family, this is a completely faithless statement. He, he doesn't know anything. He's behaving as if he doesn't know anything about Jesus Christ. And yet at the same time, if that's the case, why did he bring his son to Jesus? Why did he even bother? But I want you to listen to Jesus' statement. I believe inflection is what we're lacking here. Notice what he says. If I can. How are you going to say, if I can? I believe you have a number of options. If, if I can. Well, yeah. if, if I can, I believe Jesus is saying, if I can, as if, why are you even asking such a stupid idea? If I can, who do you think I am? And so consequently, the setup here is on Jesus Christ to look back to the individual, 
and challenge him. All things are possible to one who believes. This is not a focus on the limitations of the man. This is a focus on the limitation of what the man thinks Jesus is. Jesus isn't scolding his weakness. He is scolding his trust in the actions of Christ to do what he has the power to do. So I want you to understand this morning, faith is not yours in the sense that you believe deeper that your results are better. All right? I have more faith than you do. Well, I have more faith than you do. Well, what are you having faith in? Our faith is in Jesus Christ alone. The faith issue is, do you trust the character of God more than anything else that you are seeking Him to fix? Seeking Him to be a part of? Seeking Him to accomplish? Because He, and He alone, is capable to do the supernatural. So family, faith is the power of what you have faith in. And the immature follower has to believe Jesus can do what he promises. So that's why we look at the very moment of accepting Jesus Christ by faith. We didn't ask that the individual write down and fill out all that he understands about the character of Jesus Christ or the character of God or how can he explain the eternal Trinitarian position? What he's asking him simply is, do you believe that Jesus Christ, as God on high, has the power and the authority and the ability, first to redeem you, and second to accomplish what you're praying for? Family, it is the idea that in immaturity, I know the basics to see that God work. I want you to notice, secondly, that there, there is a, a faith of the mature. And, and God challenges the faith of the mature throughout the Bible. So he tells the mature in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Things like where are you going to stay, what you're going to wear, how long you're going to live, all of those things are put within the character of God. He says, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. I'm king, you're servant, don't worry about it. You serve the kingdom. But he also challenges us about prayer itself. So James chapter 4, verse 3 could say this. You don't have because you don't ask. You ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Family, how many times do we pray? We pray a lot, but how many times do we pray seeking that God's glorified by what we do? I want to ask on big things for a moment. When we pray for cancer to be healed, are we praying because I want to live a long life with my grandchildren? Are we praying that God will use my cancer and its healing to bring about glory to him, better use for me, for kingdom responsibilities, and along the way allow him to serve him with joy? Why do we pray? 
Well, if I'm going to pray for the curing of my cancer simply because I want to live to my 95th birthday, I am praying with the wrong motive, the wrong idea. No matter how strong that prayer is, no matter how faithful that prayer is, I'm asking with the wrong intent, the wrong desires. So understand, we want to have the mature faith. We want to have a faith that, that, that recognizes what God wants us to recognize. So the disciples, they want to know what their faith, what their failure of faith was, and we're never told. Family, maybe it was a fear to stand in front of the crowd and, and feel stupid. And so they, they, they did what they did, and, and because they didn't have a priority in Jesus Christ, it was soon lost. Maybe the disciples trusted their talents. Remember, they had never failed yet. And so they began to see this as old hat. They went out one more time, and it, all of a sudden it didn't work because they, just, they knew the routine. Put oil, lay hands, heal, and go home. And trusting the routine, they didn't go, we don't know. All we know is that it didn't work. Family, many people live that way today. There are pastors in churches that are full who preaches with a, with a talent and a precision that is incredible. But when they rely on their own gifts and abilities, what could be used for God's glory is not. God may have given us the abilities, but unless we maintain close contact with Him, the ability may be marginalized. And I want you to understand, that's the point of prayer. That's the point of prayer. Prayer is not about a special night of the week. Prayer is not about how, how much time in your community group did you spend in group prayer. Prayer is not simply a, a discipline that you do in the morning or a discipline that you do at a meal or a discipline that you accomplish before you go to bed at night. Prayer is close contact with the living Lord. And when you have close contact with the living Lord, there's a sense in which you are praying, as, as 1 Thessalonians 5 says, without ceasing. You're walking down the street expressing yourself audibly to him. And so it just becomes a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week expression. Losing contact with God loses energy. We lose power. And that power is supernatural precision. Family, just on a simple and a practical level, Prayer is the gasoline of the car. You might, have, you might have the prettiest looking vehicle in town. Hot Rod Magazine may have put it on the front cover. You may look down and be so proud of who and how God has shaped the car of your life. But without the gasoline of, his, of Him, His power and His authority, your car is worthless. 
losing contact with the supernatural power of God costs you humility. What glory would God take when you and I are taking it all? Supernatural contact lost takes vitality away from us. We are not who we should be in Christ. So family, we have a great reminder as what is church. Please understand, if church is just a gathering of people, then so what? If church is just good music, so what? If church is either great baked goods between the service and good coffee, so what? If church is just a talented preacher and you don't have one there, so what? But if church is a gathering together to strengthen what we know is the power of the Most High God to equip us to live out this week, we're church. Father, I'd ask that you'd be with us. Dear God, strengthen, equip, make us aware of, of what we're here to be. Dear God, we're, to, we're here to be, to represent the relationship that we have with the Most High God through Jesus Christ who died for us. And so, dear God in heaven, allow us to live that out and live it out with joy. Father, let there be a sense of, of Christian hedonism. Dear God, I do this, and I do it joyfully, and in doing it joyfully, there's a happiness about me. And dear God in heaven, I would pray that people see who we are because they first see Christ in us. And dear God in heaven, may that be winsome. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you.